unveiling the secrets A-list copywriters use to make themselves and their clients millions. This is the Copywriters Podcast with your host, the world's greatest copywriting coach, David Garfinkel. All right, copywriters, welcome back to the Copywriters Podcast. The last episode blew me away, and I can't wait to see what we're going to be talking about this week. David, I'm going to turn it over to you. What do we got planned for the listeners this week? Well, thanks, Nathan. Today, we've got another report from the field, and our special guest, our returning champion, is Joe Schriefer from Agora Financial. Joe, thanks for coming back. Absolutely. I had fun last time, so I'm looking uh, forward to doing it all again. Cool. So here's what we're going to talk about today. Few people in this world will ever get the chance to grow an eight-figure company into a nine-figure company. Like eight figures is between 10 and 99 million, and, and nine figures is 100 million to just south of a billion, okay? That, so, so fewer people still will ever get a chance to grow an eight-figure company to a nine-figure company when that business is 100% driven by direct response copy, as Agora Financial has, is. And I've had the privilege of watching this up close, this growth, and maybe adding a little fuel to the bonfire, but mainly I am in so much awe of the growth of this company. And our special guest today, Joe, is the guy in charge of the company. He doesn't like titles very much, so we'll just call him Joe. That's his name, anyway. (laughs) All right, so frankly, I didn't know if Joe would agree to talk about his philosophy of growth. He was reasonably concerned that it would not be of much interest to many listeners on this podcast. But I suggested it would be of great interest and tremendous value because... At the heart of it, Agora Financial is just a grown-up version of what so many copywriters and small info marketers are doing with their own businesses. That is, coming up with valuable products, keeping the target customer in mind, and promoting those products using direct response copy. And Joe said, yes, graciously. And so here we are. Before we dive in, some words of wisdom for you. The copy is powerful. You're responsible for how you use what you hear on this podcast. And most of the time, common sense is all you need. But if you make extreme claims and or if you're writing copy for offers in highly regulated industries like health, finance and business opportunity, you may want to get a legal review after you write and before you start using your copy. My larger clients do this all the time. By the way, and this is the first time I've said this on the show. Agora Financial is one of the clients who gets a legal review before they publish their copy. So if you've been wondering if I made that last part up, no, I didn't. It's really true. But now let's talk about something more exciting than getting an opinion on what's safe to include in your copy and what's not. Joe, first, thanks for coming back and welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much. Uh, I will say that you know, in any growing business, right, that there's multiple people that contribute to its success. So uh, I'm one of the people that obviously uh, help uh, run this business. Um, But the business isn't just me, right? And it's not just one other person either. So anything we'll talk about today has been the result of myself going along with, you know, for the ride of what a lot of pretty awesome people have accomplished uh, within Agora Financial. So just want to make sure that that is clear that uh, I'm one of the guys, but I'm not just the guy. 
Well, that's that's great to know. And, you know, teamwork is highly underrated in terms of business growth. Um, and I'm, I'm really glad you brought that up. It, it is a team effort for sure. But let's go back for three and a half years, if, if you don't mind. Mm-hmm. I remember when you and I first met in the fall of 2014 in Baltimore, you and Ryan McGrath and I had dinner. And at that time, you told me you'd be pretty happy if the company doubled in revenues, um, but it has grown five times that size in three and a half years, not doubling, but five times. What's that been like? Uh, it's been strange. You know, I'm, I'm always the uh, sky is falling type of person. So I typically keep my uh, business goals, you know, not too far out there uh, because at any given moment, uh, you know, I always think that the business is going to go the opposite way. I'm always terrified that an idea is going to not work or that uh, some key people may leave to go do something else on their own. So it's been very strange to have an attitude of um, always thinking the sky is falling, but at the same time watching the business you know, continue to grow and take off and has been humbling in a lot of ways and it's changed a lot of people's lives, myself included, you know, here in Baltimore and who've been part of the growth. And uh, so I guess in a way it's very strange because I always think the sky's falling, yet I'm in absolute awe of what the business has become because we've had a lot of great people contribute to its success. You know, Robert Ringer has an expression. I, I love Robert Ringer. A lot of people hate him. I like him. Um, he calls it the power of negative thinking with the expectation of a positive result. I don't know if you've ever heard that phrase. No, that's great. That that describes you, right? Yeah. I mean, I've never heard that. There's a lot of people out there who think you must always think positive and never allow the luxury of a negative thought. And okay. So you're someone who's actually done something besides made money speaking to people about the power of positive thinking. And I, I think this is very important for people because I've never, ever experienced you as a negative person. But I understand that kind of anxiety. Uh, just personally, I have it myself. So with that in mind, <laughs> now that the sky is falling, what would you say is the right mindset for growth? And you mentioned the team. You mentioned we've already talked about Ryan. I know you have some other very important people at uh, Agora Financial, and I, I can think of half a dozen right off the top of my head. But in terms of the mindset, and really, we, I think it's fair to say that to a large degree with the way you think and communicate and interact with people, um, that sets the mindset or that expresses the mindset. What would you say is the right mindset for growth from your own experience? Sure. Um, I, I want to add one final th- or one thing before we get into that, if that's okay. Can I create a big mm-hmm. open loop for you from a copywriting side? Sure. Um, when you had first asked me to come on this podcast, and like you said earlier, I was um, unsure if people would find this interesting. But when I started thinking about it more, I would say, you know, in between the last couple of days that we've been having these conversations, I kept thinking, like, what value could I add to people? What could I show them at some point in their info publishing business that would help them based on my career path and the things that I've done? So one of the things that I've decided to do, and I've already started, uh, so I'll create this open loop for you, is that I, on back of you asking me to be on this podcast, I decided to write a book, and I'm going to call it 101 Mistakes That I've Made As We 10X Our Business. 
So oh, I love it. I love because it. Because you were the inspiration to this. Um, I will give everybody who's listening today a free copy of that book when I'm finished it, which I anticipate, depending on when this podcast goes live or when someone's listening to this, I anticipate I will be finished right around mid-May of 2018. So at the end, I'll tell you how anybody who's listening can claim a free copy of that book. Because again, I did want to give it away here first, because I think because I've made so many mistakes, there could be a lot of value in learning from my mistakes so that someone at home who might have a five, six, seven, eight, ten million dollar publishing business or even a hundred thousand dollar publishing business, there's probably gonna be a lot of mistakes that you don't even know you're about to make that I've already made and I've already got the arrows in my back. So I'll send you a free copy of that book. And again, I think I'm gonna call it 101 mistakes I've made in 10Xing our business. Uh, and I'll give that away for everybody free. So uh, I'll tell you how at the end, but before we get there, you know, the mindset, the mindset that I would say is the most important. And this is something that I've been printing up on some t-shirts to give away to people here at Agora Financial is that you have to think small to grow big. And what I mean by that is I've seen how the business changes as it moves from seven figures to eight figures, from eight figures to nine figures. And there's a lot of very dangerous things that could happen to the business as it scales one of the dangerous things is that people begin to think of it as a big business. And I'll give you, I could give you a million examples here, right? Um, it, here's one example, is that it becomes very unionized as you get bigger. So yeah. people believe that they need titles because you start attracting these other, you know, more fringy players to your business because you need more people to serve more roles. Those people will be people that want titles. They'll be people that expense thousands of dollars of items that they'd never buy with their own money if it were their own company. They become very territorial in their dealings. You know, they'll say, hey, you know, uh, my title is an email sender. Why are you sending the emails? That's my job. Or they'll say, that's not your job, or you can't do that because that's my title. Uh, or they'll say, I don't do that because it's my title. That's your job. So I think in an effort to grow the business as big as possible, you have to continue to think as if it's a small business, you know, to try to hammer through to everybody that everybody in this business has one title. They're the CEO of something. You know, maybe they're the CEO of email sending, but maybe they may be asked to fix the toilets because that's what a CEO would have to do if they're their only employee. You know, maybe they're going to have to stay late one night. Maybe they're going to have to work on the weekends because that's what a CEO would have to do if they're faced with a challenge in their business. So I do think that the mindset in growing big is to never forget from, from where you came and to always think like you're a small business as you continue to grow big. And that's something that, again, has been very challenging over the, the past couple of years for us because the business growth has been phenomenal but I've seen the bad stuff that could come with it. So if you think you're a big business, then you start to become unionized, expense reports get very large, you know, people begin showing up at nine and leaving at five because that's what big business says you should do. So you really have to think like you're a small business as you continue to grow big. I love that. I've never heard that before. It makes such perfect sense. Thank you. Um, I, I remember, and, and maybe this ties into what you just said, but I remember back in 2014, you were basically doing three leadership jobs. You were copy chief, you were head of marketing, head of editorial at the time, and and you were in the process of training others. This is right, isn't it? So you yep. could de delegate 
those things to them, uh, which is, you know, makes sense. It's good. I, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to ask you about, you know, whether it's good for one person to be in charge of three things or whether it's good to delegate. What I do want to know is how important do you think it is for the person who's ultimately responsible for the business to know every aspect of it inside out, which I think is more or less fair to say that you do. Yeah, I would say at some point I did. Uh, I don't anymore, you know, even would, I would never play pretend that at the size of our business right now, I understand everything inside and out. I did at one point, you know, probably closer to the time that you and I met each other, like you said, with that dinner that we had, you know, I really did understand everything that was going on in Agora Financial at the time. And I can tell you everybody's name and I can tell you uh, how many children they did or didn't have and what their puppies' names were and how exactly our systems worked, how our oh. database, uh, what, what language our database was programmed in. You know, I could at the time. Uh, now I can't. And I'll tell you why I can't is because I hired much smarter people than I am to do the things that I wasn't as good at. So, you know, obviously I realized that if I knew everything about the business, then it wouldn't be a good business because we could only grow as large as me or whomever, you know, I was around uh, as far as like whoever was in leadership positions. So part of the reason after you and I met, you know, that I'd said, hey, I'd, I'd like to, to double the business, right? Is that I didn't think I was capable of anything more than that because at that time I was the one doing all of those items, like you just said. But I quickly found out that in order to more than double our business, to 3x our business, to 4x our business, to 5x our business, then I had to go hire people and work with people uh, that were much smarter than I was at areas that I wasn't strong at. So like database language now, I couldn't even begin to tell you the database language that we use or some of the very uh, specific intricacies of our email sending program because I'm surrounding myself by people that are much smarter database programmers, much smarter email coders, much smarter email broadcasting system people. Um, so that's really been the key to our growth, which is, and I know this isn't anything breakthrough, but it is a good reminder for everybody, is that your business will be limited by you if you believe you have to be the smartest person in that room. If you adopt the, the mentality of uh, being the dumbest person in a smart room, then your business will grow. And that's as simple as it is. If you surround yourself with amazingly smart people who know things that are, know things more intimately than you do, then your business will grow. If you are stuck at the point that your business has been stable and you are the smartest person in your business and you know everything about everything, then your business cannot grow bigger than you. You know, you only have so many ideas in your head to grow your business. You only have so many work hours that you're willing to put in. You know, at some point, we probably have to sleep and we have to eat. And most people like to spend time with their families. So you will limit the growth of your company if you have to be the smartest one. So uh, I, I think early on, you have to know a lot about your business. As your business grows, you will be a detriment to your business if you know everything about your business, which is kind of where I was a couple of years ago when, you know, again, when we had met. So uh, how important do I think it is for the person who leads the business to know everything? I think it's important at the start, and I think it's very dangerous over the long run. So really, uh, you went through a transformation, and if I understand you correctly, anyone who's going to have that kind of growth is going to need to do the same thing. Absolutely. Again, your business will not grow uh, if you are the smartest person in their business. It's not going to grow. Cool. Well, that's, that's a great answer. Thank you. 
when you have some copy and the performance of the copy is mission critical, who are you going to call? Not Ghostbusters. They don't do copy critiques last time I checked. A lot of people, from the most advanced to the up-and-coming copywriters, reach out to me. I do copy critiques. One client, Brett Alcorn, has hired me 20 times. Yep, 20 times. That's because on the very first critique I did for him, he doubled his conversions on a video sales letter. Every month, I do a handful of critiques for GKIC members. These are copywriters and small business owners who are trained and experienced, but they need another set of experienced eyes to go over their copy to take it to the next level. One A-lister told me I go over copy like an IRS auditor. Now, I wasn't sure whether to take that as a compliment or not, but he assured me it was. He said, I can find the one flaw or several flaws in copy that no one else was able to and make winning suggestions on how to fix them. So when you need a copy critique, just go to garfinkelcoaching.com and click on the services tab, garfinkelcoaching.com for a critique. Thank you. And now back to the show. As I understand it, Agora Financial started out in one niche, financial, uh, your last name, <laughs> and, um, and now you've expanded into other niches, health, uh, spy and survival stuff, and internet marketing. Could you talk about how you've approached this kind of diversification and what lessons you've learned? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, how we've approached the diversification, number one, is uh, I'll tell you why we approached the diversification, and then I'll tell you how. Uh, the why is that coming back to the first podcast that you and I had, you know, that we did together, we defined within Agora Financial, who is our customer avatar. And I told the story about our customer avatar being this gentleman that we call Grandpa Kurt. And I bought these little Grandpa Kurt dolls that we give to all of our copywriters and they sit them on their desk and they look at Grandpa Kurt and say, you know, what would Grandpa Kurt think about this idea when they have an idea? And Grandpa Kurt is past retirement age and he's distrustful of the mainstream. Um, so the reason why we diversified is that Grandpa Kurt has more problems in his life than just finance. You know, at 70 plus years old for our, our average avatar, we know that there's probably some health issues that Grandpa Kurt has. He's probably concerned about his physical safety as America changes before our very eyes. You know, he's, he remembers what it used to be like in the good old days, right, where murder per capita of his city was much lower than what it is now. So he's concerned about his physical safety. He's concerned about his health. And I didn't like at the time, and we didn't like at the time, that we could only solve one of those three problems for Grandpa Kurt. We could only solve the financial part of the problem. And if he wanted other advice, we'd have to say, hey, we don't really do that, but go to our partners over here. And we didn't know, like, for if we were an affiliate of somebody, we didn't really know if their advice was great. Like, we try to get to know their products, but we didn't know... Uh, you know, their health doctors or anything like that. So we said, let's go, you know, find some health doctors that we trust their information and we trust their ideas and let's partner with them to provide health um, ideas for Grandpa Kurt to better his life, you know, alternative health ideas. And we did the same thing with survival. So that's kind of the reason why is that we knew our avatar had more problems that we could help him solve and we didn't like referring him to other people that we didn't know everything about to solve those problems. We thought that if we could find people that we trusted, then why not introduce Grandpa Kurt to our trusted people that were part of our business within these other areas that he was concerned about? Um, how we did that is coming back to that previous thing that I mentioned, which is 
we found people that were smarter than us, you know, in those niches to do it. Um, I had known somebody that was in the health publishing world for many, many years, and I really respected what this gentleman had done. And over the years, we had become friends. And uh, what we we tried to launch the health business on our own, and we did okay with it, but um, we didn't know the health metrics and things like lifetime values and you know, what our allowable acquisition costs would be. So we fumbled around for quite a while. And then eventually I went to this gentleman and said, hey, uh, would you like to come on board to run our health division? Because there's nobody better in the world, I believe, than this gentleman to run health. Uh, and he finally agreed. So over the long run, that's what we did. We just found people smarter than us to run these businesses. The short-term stumbles were trying to run them ourselves and not really understanding all the metrics of different businesses. Because I could tell you, that a lifetime value of a financial customer that we have on our file is radically different than a lifetime value of a health customer that we have on the file. So if we hadn't hired people smarter than us that understood those differences in health versus financial, then we'd probably not have made the business work. We probably would have folded the business or not acquired as many customers or have lost money on the business. So really, that's the stumble. Uh, and that was our fix is, is to, again, say, look, I don't know exactly how to do this. I know I want to do it. And I'll go find someone who's better at doing this than me and try to attract them and persuade them to join our business. And that's what we did. That's that's great. Um, let me let me ask you, this is sort of a, a mindset question, but um, maybe maybe a little more tangible when it comes to growing a company based on your experience. What should the priorities be and, and what are mistakes? And I know you're writing a whole book about this, so maybe just one or two of them. Sure. But what, what are mistakes to avoid? Uh, as far as growing the business and the thing that the person should be doing, it's it's different. Oh, pardon me. Um, it's different because it will change depending on where the business is as far as growth goes. So if a business is between zero and a couple million dollars, that person who's running the business, their sole fo focus should be on acquiring customers. That's their absolute sole focus, right? If it's a new business, that person should spend almost all of their time thinking, how do I acquire a customer for my business? Yeah. If the business is a $90 million business that's trying to get to $150 million, then that's a radically different challenge for that person at the top. You know, they're, they don't, they're not maybe they're launching products still, and maybe they're their best salesman still. But really what they're going to turn into then is they their, their growth at that point is probably bumping up against the point that they need to find higher uh, true managers because they're not going to be able to manage a $90 million business by themselves because you know the 50 to 100 to however many employees that they have are going to create management issues that are going to consume all of that leader's time if they don't put true managers in place. So it's almost an impossible question to answer because what the leader should be doing is very dependent upon where the stage of growth that that company is in. Uh, there was a phenomenal book written about this called Ready, Fire, Aim oh, yeah, by I one of the it. gentlemen that is, uh, his name is Mark Ford. He writes underneath the name of Michael Masterson, and he, along with Bill Bonner, really created Agora Publishing. So Mark has really laid the groundwork out for what an entrepreneur or a business owner or a leader should be doing at different stages of growth in that book. So it's called Ready, Fire, Aim. It's one of those must-reads here at Agora Financial. We literally make anyone who is in any leadership capacity 
you know, read that book and be able to regurgitate its ideas because it's so accurate. So anybody that's interested in that, I would say read Ready, Fire, Aim. Uh, it's written by somebody who has scaled a direct response publishing business to the size of what Agora Inc. is now, which is multiples of what Agora Financial is. Uh, and Mark is a brilliant writer with really great ideas, and, and it, lays the, it lays the roadmap. It's a brilliant book. That's, that's great. Um, speaking of scaling Agora Inc. and Agora Financial, these are direct response businesses, and I'm, I'm sure they're different in some ways than other more conventional businesses. I don't even quite know what a conventional business is anymore because I'm so immersed in the world of direct response. But could you talk about, if, if you have some ideas about this, uh, how someone should look at growing a direct response-based business and what might be different from a traditional uh, um, um, non-direct response business, if, if there are differences, and maybe there aren't, I don't know. It's a good question. Uh, Agora has been the only business that I've really ever known, uh, which I've been very lucky uh, to find myself in the position of only knowing Agora. So my knowledge on this topic is really an inch wide, but a mile deep because I only know direct response. Uh, I have some ideas and some thoughts about traditional business and how it could apply direct response tactics and things, but I don't know well enough the opposite side of what a traditional business is anymore to really juxtapose the two. As far as making an indirect response, I think it, it comes down to a couple of different things. Number one, knowing how to acquire a customer. Again, that's the most important thing. If the business ever loses its way of doing that, then it will implode over the long run. So you must know how to acquire a customer. You must know what value or how much money you can spend to acquire that customer. Because I've seen other businesses blow themselves up like that. You know, they may have great ideas to acquire customers, but they may be spending three times as much as what they should to acquire that customer, which means that their cash flow won't be there over the long run, which means that unless they can get a loan, they will go out of business. So number one is knowing how to acquire a customer. Number two is knowing what you can afford to pay to acquire that customer. And number three is to know how to extract as much lifetime value from that customer. So if you know those three things, I think you'll make it in direct response no matter what type of arena you're playing in, you know, be it weight loss or be it total fitness and diet, be it financial, be it uh, health problems, be it survival, be it you know, wood-making sheds, whatever the direct response business is. If you know those three things, you will succeed. My guess is that most traditional businesses don't know those three things. Uh, like, how can you, you know, you place a billboard right on the side of a major intersection. Uh, did that bring you any more customers? Do you know what that billboard cost you in a direct response metric to bring you a new customer? Of course you don't. So those branding things are, are things that we stay away from only because I can't measure the impact of it. Where everything in direct response we can. Uh, so I don't know, again, the whole traditional business thing well enough, but I, my guess is that if they applied some direct tac direct response tactics, they'd probably better their business. I, I think that's a great answer. Thank you. And, and finally, since this podcast is about copywriting, I would be derelict in my duty if I didn't talk about copywriters and ask you about copywriters specifically. Now, you, you mentioned, I'm not sure if it was this week or last week, it's just ringing in my mind that you've worked with a hundred copywriters in, in the last year or few years, and you've helped some of them grow their careers, the ones who come to work with you and, and been successful. 
help them grow their incomes, some to a level that many people couldn't even imagine. Could you tell me, and and you, you did mention this before, but uh, again, what are the qualities you've found that make for a success with a copywriter? Sure. To set the stage, what I was mentioning earlier too, I think it was last week, was that in working with so many copywriters, I've tried to find correlation of why did certain people work and other people didn't work. I find absolutely no correlation of anything that's on a resume meeting up with the success that someone may or may not have at Agora Financial. Uh, I always tell people that we have had people with absolutely no college degrees radically succeed and get paid more than professional athletes. And we've had other people who've had Harvard educations that we've parted ways with because we just couldn't make it work. So the only correlation that I can find among what makes a good copywriter for Agora Financial are three things. Number one is curiosity, insane intellectual curiosity about the world, someone who questions the default, someone who doesn't believe what they hear on the nightly news, someone who's curious enough to go try to find the truth for themselves, someone who likes to research, who likes to dig. So that's number one. Number two is going to be insane work ethic. All of our copywriters get here, all the good ones at least. They get here early before everybody. They leave later than everybody. They have ideas that happen all the time. You know, They think about ideas while they're trying to fall asleep. They think about ideas while they're running on the treadmill. They think about ideas while they're driving into work or wherever they're going. They have a hard time turning off the idea machine because of the work ethic. So that's number two. And number three is going to be the ability to fail without feeling like a failure. And I'll tell a little bit of a different story about this one than what I told you before. Uh, David, do you remember the movie Top Gun? Oh, yeah. And how? Okay. So uh, hopefully everybody who's listening has seen that movie. Do you remember when Goose and Maverick are flying, whatever they're flying, the F-14 jet or whatever it might be, and they have to eject because they get into some type of uh, tailspin or something, and they hit the eject button, and they eject, and poor Goose hits himself on the top of the glass that ejects, and he falls down into the water, and you know Maverick is cradling Goose, and Goose dies. You remember that? I do. And do you remember that? Maverick uh, goes to go up in the F-14 a couple weeks later after dealing with Goose's death, and he can't engage the MiG. He cannot engage it. And you got Viper, who's down in mission control or ground control, and he keeps saying, Maverick, God damn it, engage, engage. Do you remember that? I do remember that very clearly. So coming back to being able to fail without feeling like a failure, there's a lot of copywriters that we would attract who would bomb their first promotion. They'd completely fail, and they can't re-engage. They, they feel like Maverick up in that plane who is too scared to go back at it because they witnessed something die. Yep. So they fail from a promotion, and they can't re-engage. And I sit here in my office just like Viper did, and I say, God damn it, copywriter, engage, engage. And they can't write anything more because they're so afraid of failure. So that type of person doesn't work out with us either. You know, the people who do work out are the people who can fail and yet not feel like a failure. So those are the three things, curiosity, work ethic, and the ability to fail without feeling like a failure. Okay. And so once again, if someone is listening to what you just said and they say, that's me, I I could do this. um, How do they contact you? Yep. So I give out my personal email address all the time on on anything that I discuss like this. My personal email address is J, the first initial of my last name. I'm sorry, the first initial of my first name, and then Shreefer. So J, S is in Sam, C H R I, E F is in Frank, 
E-R at Agora Financial. And the only thing I ask is don't send me a resume. I don't care about what you've done in your life. Uh, not to be disrespectful. It's just I can't find a correlation here. So don't tell me about your, you know, that you worked at Sunoco when you were 17 and then you worked at, you know, the barbecue joint, but then you got a great education. Don't tell me anything like that. What I want you to do if you're interested is get my attention in the same way that we as copywriters would have to get our prospects' attention. Uh, and just like our prospects are very busy, uh, I've seen a stat that people see something like 4,000 advertisements a day. Just like you'd have to break through to get their attention, break through to get my attention because I probably get 4,000 emails a day. So if you say something like, applying for your job, I'm going to delete it. If you say something like, hey, screw your job offer, I want to make millions in the next three weeks by learning your, your, you know, joining your copy team, whatever. You might have my attention because it might be a little bit more weird and strange than what I'm typically used to getting. So do something weird, do something strange, tell me a benefit of why I should work with you, uh, and I'll get back to your email. If you write me a uh, trite email, I'll probably just delete it and ignore it. So just do something weird, do something strange, get my attention, tell me the benefit of working with you. So if that's you, I'd like to hear from you. And then to kind of close that loop that I opened earlier, yeah. Uh, again, I am writing a book right now called 101 Mistakes I Made in Scaling Our Publishing Business Tenfold or something like that. I'm still working on the title. Uh, and I've got a ton of mistakes. So as I mentioned earlier, anyone who's listening to this, this is the first time I've ever mentioned that book. And it was inspired by you, David, who asked me to do this type of podcast today and me trying to figure out how I could deliver value to people. So because you inspired me, this is going to be the first time I mention it. And anybody that writes me, even if you're not willing to partner with us or work with us, you know, write me at the same email address, J-S-C-H-R-I-E-F-E-R at agorafinancial.com. Tell me you want the book. And as soon as I'm finished it, which should be in another couple of weeks here, I will send you the book for free. That's awesome. That's so generous. Thank you, Joe. And um I will be one of those people. You don't have to remember this. I'll send you an email. <laughs> I'll tell you what, I'm going to share the Google document with you, the super secret Google document right now with you. Mm. And you can tell me as I go along, you can give me any critiques or comments or anything like that. And they're really I'm short, so like little blurbs. Like I'm looking at it right now on my uh, computer screen and uh, these are in no order. But, um, you know, one of the mistakes I made is just meetings, 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 and more meetings. You know, as the business grows, everybody wants to have meetings. Everybody wants to have meetings because they believe it's productive work. And I've learned quickly that I should not go to most of those meetings because I become an enabler uh, and that I should try to figure out how I redo meetings. So I have a couple of tips on how I redo meetings. Cool. Uh, another secret in there is uh, not letting my good people fail. You know, early on, I wanted to try to control everything in the business and I thought I could save people from failure. But I realized that just like Maverick, at some point, they need to hit the eject button. They need to see failure for themselves, and they need to see if they can re-engage. So I got a bunch of like little uh, mistakes that have hopefully led to little secrets about our business growing. So I'll give that away for everybody for free. But David, I'm going to share it with you now, and you can critique me as we go along. I'm so excited. Thank you. I did not expect that. I really appreciate it. All right. Well, Joe, thank you. This is uh, the second of two incredible podcasts. I hope um, I've, I've known Joe for three and a half years and I've heard things today and, and we've spent time talking before. Um, we spent a couple of days together, actually a few days. And so I hope you guys realize how lucky you are, how, how fortunate because Joe has shared some really valuable information. Joe, thank you so much. Really. Absolutely. Thank you guys. I hope you had fun listening and, uh, write to me, you know, and tell me if you're interested in the book at all and I'll gladly give it to you guys. So thank you very much, David. Uh, and thank you, Nate, as well, for having me on today. Yeah. Okay. Well, see you guys next week. Thanks so much. 
Make sure to subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes so you never miss an episode.